Hello, and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. Uh, my name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. <laughs> Greetings to everybody. Uh, in case you this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, let me just sum it for you up. Uh, sum it up for you. Sum it for you right up. Summit is my favorite motorsports high-performance catalog. We are not sponsored by Summit, but <laughs> there it is. What we are actually doing is talking about all the new cars out there because Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists and we love what we do and there's a lot of crazy cool things to talk about this week. Um, I'm going to take it away, Ben. What do you think? Is that okay? I think that's great. And I just want to let everyone know who's listening. Sammy just stepped off a plane from South Africa. And when I say just, I mean within the last hour and a half. He came directly from the airport where for some reason he was quarantined on the plane and won't talk about it to his home studio where he is now in front of a microphone and he's going to tell us all about the 2019 audi a7 yeah absolutely i'm going to tell you all about that um i had to uh, i got to test it all the way over in cape town south africa which uh, was one heck of a haul we left monday night and arrived wednesday we drove it for um that afternoon and then the next morning into the uh, early afternoon as well and then we left on Thursday, and now I have no idea what day it is. I, so, I think that's, that's something like 60 hours of travel for you, wasn't it? Altogether? Yeah, something like that. And you know what? I feel pretty fresh, although my brain is definitely missing a few connections at times, so you might just hear me go, uh, what? I, I'm looking forward <laughs> to the end of the podcast where like you've kind of faded and are just agreeing <laughs> with everything I say, no matter how outlandish it is. Yeah, uh, it's exactly like that. Did I just do that there? <laughs> exactly. See, it's already starting. So okay, so this A7, this. That's the, let's let's talk about it. Yeah, let's get to the A7. This is actually the second generation A7, and it's kind of crazy, crazy to believe that, I think, because this car debuted, I think, about seven or eight years ago in 2010. So it, it, was, um, an, it was like an eight-year generation? That That is a long time. It is a pretty long time uh, for a generation, but you have to admit, it doesn't look like the current one out there on the road doesn't look old, and it still looks good, I think, every time you look at it. Now, well, I, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I mean, mm-hmm. one of them in particular is that Audi has not really dramatically evolved its styling language over the over that time period of time. You know, like okay. yeah. every Audi still looks like every Audi. There hasn't been that dramatic departure. There hasn't been a new direction for the brand, which is neither good nor bad. But I think that that's helped the A7 stay current. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing that helps in this case is that. It uh, took the idea of the four-door coupe, which I think Mercedes tried to really uh, invent. They took that four-door coupe, which had a sloping roof line, and then they added this beautiful lift-back design to it. And it's like, it's special. It it really is a a design that I think Audi has perfected and that others are emulating to this day. Um, I think a while ago we talked about the Kia Stinger and we talked about the um, there's another car that's fantastic um, that looks a lot like a, like a Sportback. That's the Buick Regal. So I think all of these automakers are taking note of what Audi has done with this body this body design and are really putting their own spin on it. And uh, I don't think they can top the original. And the second generation one is just as striking in person. It adds a few new touches from the current Audi design language. So things look a little bit sharper, a little bit edgier, a little bit more um toned if you want to use that that word i'm going to use that word i noticed that especially up front on the headlights and and kind of the grill it it seems a little more prominent whereas the headlights do have that sharper look that you're talking about do you have any pictures you could throw up maybe on the facebook page so people can kind of take a look 
I'll throw some up on the Facebook page. We, I, I actually grabbed the uh, the on-site photographers and we did some rolling footage. So there's some really nice uh, blur effect in there. And you can see me and my driving partner, uh, Matt Bubbers, who I believe writes for the Globe and Mail and Sharp magazine. He's uh, He was a fun guy to, to drive with. And it's the first time I've ever driven with him in all these years of knowing him. Um, and we had a pretty good time. Uh, I can get to the details of this car. It kind of bridges the gap between the brand and new A8 that I drove um, in the fall, and the unseen, unknown A A6, which um, we'll be using a new platform. That's what the A7 is using. It's not related to the A8 in terms of platform, but many of the technology technologies found in the A7 are almost directly from the A8. The only thing it doesn't have is that level three autonomous driving capabilities, although much of the the like the technology, like the circuitry is there, but I guess it might not make a lot of sense to have some of the really advanced sensors that the A8 has on this car. When you, when you, when you talk about it being a, a bridge between the A8 and the A6, what do you mean exactly? So if, if the A6 and the A7 are sharing the same platform, isn't the A7 really just a styling option for people who would have normally bought an A6? That is, honestly, that's probably the best way to look at the A7. That's the old, that's always the way it has been. And you're right. I haven't yet seen what Audi will put in the A6. But the fact is that they have so much technology and the interior design of the A8 is being used in this car. It's, a, it's almost an immediate trickle down, which I was really surprised at because I swear I just saw the new A8 and a lot of what I, I liked and found in that car are now being used in the A7. So, so what's under the hood of the of the, the 2019 model? It has a for a North American models, you're going to see a turbocharged six cylinder engine, a V6, that makes 340 horsepower and I think about 368 pound feet of uh, pound feet of torque. Um, it's a pretty good engine. It's also paired with a with an interesting decision for a transmission. Now. I believe a while ago, Audi made it clear that they didn't want to use DSGs or dual-clutch transmissions anymore, uh, and we're going to stick to that eight-speed automatic transmission that I think is made with ZF. But in this car in particular, they're using their S-Tronic dual-clutch transmission again, um, and I found that really interesting. And it, it really gives this car, especially in the sportier trim, uh, sportier drive modes, it gives this car a really sharp feel. So um, two questions. Two range. questions about that: Is ZF the same as ZF? Yes. Okay. And yeah, follow-up question. Yeah. Why? 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 You say that they didn't want DSG, but now they have DSG again. And did they give you a reason? No, no reason. Uh, I I really don't know yet. This is a seven-speed gearbox, and the other one that we're used to is an eight-speed. Um, I wonder if that has a lot to do with um, weight or other things that are going on with the new A7. I, I should bring up the weight. It is a little bit heavier than the outgoing model. That's because it now has a 48-volt mild hybrid system um, that kind of uh, integrates itself into the rest of the drivetrain. This car also uses Quattro all-wheel drive, and there's four-wheel steering as well. Our cars were also equipped with... Um, air suspension, all things that do not help a car lose weight. <laughs> and and so I want to get back to that 48 volt uh, system. Now mm-hmm. you say mild hybrid. Does this? Are we looking at something where it's just a battery that keeps the car running when uh, you're stopped at a light? Or I notice I think uh, on the new Audi, I think you can also shut down the engine while you're cruising or coasting. Sorry, at highway speed. So like if you're mm-hmm. above around 100 miles an hour, between 100 miles an hour and 40 miles an hour, if you take your foot off the gas it'll actually shut the engine 
engine down and rely on a lithium-ion battery to keep all systems running. So it it's not necessarily it's not a hybrid in the sense that it provides power to the drivetrain. It's it's a it's more of a hybrid where it allows you to save fuel by shutting down the, the gas engine. Yeah, it's a it's definitely a fuel efficiency minded item. That's how you help offset the added weight of this of all of these systems. I think. Um, however, I have to admit I didn't see it in action as much as I wanted to, like just coasting on the highway or anything like that. So I'm wondering if there's some elements to the car that have to have to be met some variables that have to be met to be met in order for it to um achieve that you know coasting function i, I think um, one of those variables is probably not have sammy leadfoot hajasad driving <laughs> I, I refuse to believe you coasted at any point during the south african journey i will admit it was uh there were a couple of times when i i was caught off guard by just how powerful and smooth this car was because it's one of those luxury cars that you can you can really not realize how fast you're going and audi makes a it gr- does a great job with with smoothing out the just actually filtering out the exterior world and a sense of speed in these cars it's just like floating along and then when you look along uh, look on your on your speedometer you're going uh, at the speed limit or even fast, faster and you're just like well that doesn't feel like that doesn't feel right at all so <laughs> Uh, another thing worth mentioning it this car has a zero sixty sprint of it's pretty uh, still pretty impressive it's just over five seconds and I think you know for as much as i I complained about the weight this car is still plenty powerful it has a lot of punch off the line and I'll admit it's very quiet it's unbelievably quiet there's a lot of things going on with this car that just make it seem like a really good luxury car and I don't know if that was something that like I said, is borrowing a lot of the technology that's found in the A8 and putting it into a smaller car, or if this is what the direction for Audi is going forward. Well, you know, I think that it seems to me, like if you look at the styling for Audi across the board, they're not looking to make any dramatic changes in that department. So how do you uh, intrigue buyers? How do you get them to choose an Audi over a BMW or a Mercedes? I think interiors and technology are kind of that next frontier for them. And it's probably not as expensive to do things that way because I, I would assume that much of the interior is modular and they're able to plug and play various systems that they have. So they develop something for the A8 and then they're like, well, make sure that the A6 and the A7 have similar size um, interior components that we can just swap in features if we need to. And I'm, I'm looking at some pictures of the A7 interior and it, it does feel like an upgrade. It is a huge upgrade. The interior of this car is something that I just was not expecting to be like this. I don't mean to to throw Audi um, some shade here, but their interiors, you know, we said their exteriors haven't gotten stale, but I think their interiors over the past 10 years did get a bit stale. This is not at all like that. They have really revamped the interior. One of the most interesting parts of this interior is the, the two-screen center, de- center uh, console. Um, the, the top screen, which is, I believe... Um, eight inches, um, is mainly used for infotainment. It has navigation, media information, um, and other things like that. And the bottom screen will alternate between being a climate control, um, system as well as text input for when you're entering information for a, uh, a destination. Does, does that mean, uh, does that mean that there's no hard buttons for the climate control? Uh, just give me a second. And, there's also some other functions on that mod- on that bottom screen, like uh, home link, uh, head-up display configuration, and other things like that. Now, there are no hard buttons for climate control. What Ooh. there is, how it, hold up, hold up. There is force feedback on the screen, 
as well as uh, force-sensitive touch uh, capabilities on the vehicle as well. So, What does the, that mean? So you can just hover your finger over some of the buttons to understand, to, to kind of get a feeling on whether or not you're touching the right function on the screen. Uh, and then you can press hard to sort of activate that feature. So you know, you know, first... the, you know, you know what? When, when I'm never not sure if I'm using the right feature is when I'm holding a physical button in my hand that is directly linked to that feature. I think it takes a little bit of getting used to, uh, and definitely for me, the first time I started using it, I I didn't realize how much extra force I needed to put on the screen when tapping it. It almost felt like a resistive touch screen instead of one of the um, more fancier uh, systems out there. But it did get the point across that you can use this while in motion. Um, the car also features Android Auto and Apple CarPlay support. There's wireless charging in the armrest, and um, it, 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 it is a really high-tech interior, but the design is really clean. They got rid of so many of the, of the cluttered um, effects that you see modern luxury cars dealing with. There's just yeah, like buttons all those everywhere. buttons. Yeah, just forget the buttons. Forget here, the here, buttons. Here's my problem with not having buttons though. It's not so much the fancy, you know, I can use it while I'm driving and it pushes back on my finger. It's when I'm wearing gloves and I can't access heated seats or the defrost or anything like that. I, I need to be able to just punch something and have that come up when I'm chattering and it's like minus twenty outside. And that's that's something that's important, I think, in any car, regardless of whether it's a luxury car or not. <laughs> and uh, I also, I'm also curious, I'm looking at the shifter. Does does it still have the character input on the back of the shifter? No, it doesn't. The, the character input, like I said, has been moved to that bottom screen, uh, and you can even do your character. You can do your character input in there. Do it, does it come with a stylus? Uh, no, you can. Can I use my own stylus? Can I use my own stylus? You know what? That's worth mentioning. Would you like to have a stylus in a in a car to make it easier for you to draw that sort okay. of stuff, or point, yes, or pick and pick and poke at the the items on the screen? Yes and no. First of all, yes because nobody signs or draw draws or like makes characters with their finger unless you're 3 years old and you're finger painting. Everything you write is done with something in your hand like a pen, a pencil, whatever. That's how we're taught to write. So, when you use these systems, it's like when you go to the the store and they ask you to sign your name on the credit card thing and it's the electronic screen mm-hmm. and you have to do it with your finger and you and always you feel, screw it up and you're yeah, like, "Yeah, you feel well, like that's a fool." It's quite my signature, but it's, it's just a enough. squiggle. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's the same thing. But on the other hand, I'm going to lose the stylus right away. That's a given. <laughs> and it's probably going to become a projectile and like take an eye out or maybe like puncture the screen itself when I hit a bump. So, so it, should be magne- it should be magnetized to somewhere on the on the center console. I, I don't know. I just think a stylus is generally a bad idea, but I don't think we have a better solution. Like it's not I'm not asking for a stylus because what will happen is Lexus will give us the world's worst stylus. Yeah, it'll be like it'll be like a you know like remember when you were a kid and they had those spinograph things and it was like a yeah, it was like exactly a pen like suspended a, yeah. by like yeah, like like a wire ears inside of it and you yeah. just like yeah. And it, would, it was like a pendulum, and it would go back and forth. That's what Lexus would give us. <laughs> and this screen would just be scratched all the time. Anyway, we're not uh, really... In case two screens is not enough for you, uh, Audi also has that awesome virtual cockpit. That's, that's a huge digital dash that's found in front of the driver. And you can even put your, na- your navigation, the whole entire map, including, like, topographical view or street view, so that you don't need to use that. You don't need to... to 
commandeer the main infotainment system with the navigation instructions so that you tr your passengers can take a look at that and put their their media information or whatever else they can do uh, on that screen as well. Yeah, one more thing that I feel like is a missed opportunity for automakers with all these screens is why not put an Etch-a-Sketch Easter egg somewhere in the software? So you're I saying, mean, you know, the, the two knobs that are like left in each car, which is like probably like the tuning and uh, and the volume knob, just turn those into Etch-a-Sketches? Yeah, yeah. And that then when you like hit a, a bump, Elon when you hit Musk. a bump, it shakes and the picture's gone. So like, oh, no. it's yeah, you have to be careful. You have to drive smooth and safe while also paying lots of attention to the Etch-a-Sketch feature while you're driving. There's a lot more I can talk about this car. I just wanted to add, it's, it truly is a luxury car. It's not, a, it's not the sporty model that you might be expecting it to be or the way that it looks like it would be. I think they're saving that for an S7 and an RS7 in the future. Um, this car is definitely on the sedate, comfortable side. Even the four-wheel steering, which is a, a new feature for this car, is made to, to help this car, help you get around in this car rather than feel like you're, you're driving something smaller and more nimble than it is um you can expect it to hit showrooms late this year about qu the third quarter i'd say um which is just in time for winter i think that's a good time for any all-wheel drive luxury car uh, and it will probably maintain its price point of just around eighty thousand dollars eighty is that canadian or u.s i think that's u.s so it's a starting price for a base A7 is $80,000? Maybe I'm mistaken. Let me take a qu another look here. I don't know. That seems really high for what is essentially an S6. I, maybe I'm crazy. But, um, oh, sorry, I 70. Know. I was off by about 10,000. There you go. Okay. I get, that's sort of more reasonable. I mean, that's what, 5 Series territory? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's actually, you know what, because I think you can get the A6 and some um, smaller engines, yeah, I think you can get the A6 in a four-cylinder model. It's extremely affordable. Uh, it's about, it starts at around 50, so you do pay quite the premium for the A7. Sammy Hadjassad, quote-unquote, extremely affordable, it starts at around 50. This is <laughs> the lifestyle it's relative. That I'm he sorry. lives that we can only did, dream of. Maybe I wasn't making myself clear, but it is relative. 60 hours in the air, all those cosmic rays, it changes your perspective. Especially on money, obviously on money. Uh, what else do you want to know about this car? It still has that lift back. It has a ton of, uh, of trunk space, a little bit more than before, including a little bit more leg and headroom in the rear seats. Not enough to, I think, be really impressed. But I don't think that was a huge problem with this car. Did you sit back there? Yeah. Did your head touch the ceiling? Yes. It did? Okay, yeah. I'm asking. The reason I'm asking is not to be obtuse, but because my head touches the ceiling in the back of a CLS, the, the Mercedes uh, equivalent of this car, or I guess inspiration for this car. So I've never been very impressed with that. But then again, I have what the industry calls a long torso, which the makes it. The calls it that, or. Did somebody else call you? Call it. Well, that? it was a it was a, a mean term. it was a playground in insult. A, in a, in a they, press release for like... when I was in the fifth grade is the first time I heard it. But uh, no, it's because I, it it all goes back to many years ago, ten years ago now, when I was buying my first racing seat, and I realized that I couldn't fit under the bar in my Miata, the, the roll bar, because um, I have this long. I'm not a tall person. I'm like five seven, but. Um, my torso is the longest part of my body, so when I'm sitting down, it's like I'm tall, which sucks. <laughs> and it meant I had to bolt the seats to the floor, and I couldn't use sliders or anything. And uh, that was the only way I could pass the safety test to with a helmet on. 
Uh, and ever since then, I've been really self-aware and conscious of my long torso. And it's like having a giant hand, you know? It's the same kind of deal. And everyone's always staring at it. That's the problem. They're always, stare, they're always staring. They're always measuring. They're always, like, standing beside you and trying to make it not look like they're comparing their own torso to your torso. But you know that's what they're doing. They're exactly. like, stand up straight for me, Benjamin. There's no reason to ask me to do that. Um. It's uh, it's still not the most uh, spacious vehicle in the rear seats for, I think, um, adults. But you do get four-zone automatic climate control. Uh, so they're both both passengers in the back do get to control their, their fate when it comes to climate, um, which is nice. I don't like being at the, at the whims of whoever's up front, right? Yeah, because you're obviously not driving with friends. They're just total strangers who don't have your comfort in mind whatsoever. Yeah, but I mean, I have a very, I have a, I'm, well, I think I'm cold blooded, so I need to be kept in a very particular climate, or else I, I, I get all sluggish and. Do you and... wilt? Do you wilt, mm-hmm. Sammy? Yeah, yeah. I think you've seen me wilt. Um, Are you going to so wilt by I the end of this to podcast? Be my ideal, and I need to have this heat lamp. And uh, I haven't, I forgot to ask Audi about the A7's heat lamp function. Um, but I'm sure it can be equipped with one. It's called the reptile feature. Yeah. You the can rear keep an iguana. Reptile. Yeah, yeah. Who doesn't want to have a car iguana? Exactly. Until that tragic day when you forget the car iguana in a winter snowstorm. And you um, have to explain to the kids why they have an iguanasicle now. I mean, they'll understand. All right, moving on. Wait, wait, hold on. Before I go anywhere. Uh, no, I meant moving on from I'm the very... iguana. That was obviously a conversational dead end. I don't, I don't know why I brought up animals, something you clearly hate. <laughs> we saw so many animals in South Africa. Oh, yeah. And, and how many of them did you... and dolphins and... Did you hate all of them? No, I didn't hate any of them. It kind of feels like you did. Is it interesting, though, to, to consider this this lift back and this four-door coupe thing that's going on around the industry? Uh, we've been seeing these these four-door coupes. Uh, other luxury automakers like BMW, they they made the 6 Series Grand Coupe, I think, or sorry, it's the Grand Turismo that follows this liftback design. But it's based actually on the Halo model, the 7 Series. It uses that platform instead of the 5 Series. So they're kind the of five, do- the 5 Series platform is also linked to the 7 Series. They're, they're oh, so they're all very they're all very similar. Yeah. I've been hearing from a lot of people, and I, I remember driving it, and it it really impressed me in terms of luxury appointments that. 6 Series Gran Turismo felt like like a class above what these cars are, but I think Audi's R, uh, A7 has has brought things back to par in that class. Yeah, by the way, listeners, if I'm wrong about that 5 Series, 7 Series link, let us know um, with a tweet or a comment, because I'm, I'm pretty confident about that. I know, But then now I'm thinking back to the fact that when the 5 Series GT came out, that horrendous, horrible hatchback version of the 5 mm. Series, that was actually riding on a 7 Series platform directly, and it was so much bigger than the regular 5, so I might have been confused there. Um, you might have been, but uh, why don't we get to whatever you're talking about? What, you, what did you drive recently? Yeah, what whatever, you whatever you're doing when, when you're not in South Africa with the <laughs> dolphins and the seals and hating on iguanas. I'm going to no be honest, I'm probably going to take a nap during this portion just so that I can wake up and nail the exit, which I failed so many times on this podcast. <laughs> uh, well, I, I spent, I, as, I, as I alluded to... As I alluded to in previous week's podcast, I spent a week with the BMW i8. Again, again with the i8. We should no, it's just, this is my first time. <laughs> this is my first time driving the i8 for an extended period of time. I know you're an old hand with the i8, and you have nothing new to say about it. But in fact, you've never done what I did with the car, Sammy. Um, I'm almost too afraid to ask what you did with the car. 
<laughs> I did what you wouldn't do with the car, Sammy. I I I I drove it in the winter. Oh yeah, I wouldn't do that. That and, sounds like uh, a terrible idea. Well, you know, you would think it is, and I went into the week thinking this is going to be a terrible. This this the focus of the story is going to be, hey, everything's terrible when you drive a semi exotic when it's super cold and there's a ton of snow, but. Uh, it newsflash, it's not. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I was. So let yeah. me just, Let me just. We can go through like point by point. Maybe I can. I can think of what I imagine would be a myth when driving uh, a car like this in the winter, uh, and you can tell me whether or not I'm right or wrong. So the All right. Let's thing, do lightning lightning round. The first thing I would say is um, getting in and out of a car like that with boots on. Is that uh, or on ice? Is that okay easy to do? <laughs> So it's it's not so much the boots or the ice. It's the fact that getting in and out of this car at any time sucks. Like, it is it is not convenient. For those of you who have never seen an i8, BMW decided to give it three Commodores that open almost <laughs> as wide as you need them to. Like, it, it, it protrudes up into the air, sort of scissor style, and then there's, like, a mailbox slot of an opening <laughs> that you have to fold your body in and make an 8x10 version of yourself enter the cockpit. But the thing is, in the wintertime... This becomes problematic because the door sill gets super dirty. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're dragging your boots over it. Uh, there's snow and there's salt and stuff. All the normal things you would have on the door sill of a relatively low car in the winter. But now you add in the fact that you have to drag your body across it and it bruises your hip at the same time. Like, it's it's not – there's no graceful way to get in and out. It's There's I, – I don't think it was me. Every one of my passengers felt the same way. And uh, it's a very wide sill, and you're gonna get dirty. So there's that. I mean, it's not it's not terrible, but it, it is a thing. So wh okay. what's your next question? Okay, uh, it's an it's an EV. It's an electric vehicle with um with a plug-in component. Um, I'm gonna say range is definitely um a problem in this car. Okay, so you are correct, and there's okay. actually a couple of things about the range that I noticed in the car. Oh, uh, the electric, when I just the electric parts are going to be really, really flaky, I think. Well, it's, you know, people like to ding hybrids and electric cars for not giving you full battery range in the winter. Yeah, what's the but deal with again, those people? Why are they so hate, why do they yeah, always hate on, like, just... Why are they sending you letters in? every single week? Jeez, and they're just like, ding, ding. <laughs> what, is the, what is this ding sound? You think what, they like I'll, the ding things. Oh, man. That's not what... Anyway, so... I've been traveling a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Any internal combustion engine, a gas engine, diesel engine, whatever, in the cold, you lose a lot of efficiency, too. Like 30 40% sometimes, depending how cold it is. The thing is, you don't notice it as much because you're not a prisoner of the range readout on your vehicle. If, if, if you run out of gas, you can get more gas and keep driving. But in an EV in the winter, if you run out of battery... Well, it kind of sucks unless you're near a charger, and even then it sucks because you have to wait X amount of time to charge up. So the i8 is an interesting example because it's not really an EV in the sense that you only have like 15 miles of battery range. Right. That's for pure pure electric driving. So um, when I would get in the car, it would show me about 14 miles. And that's that's not so bad, you know. Right. But I as mean, soon when as when the top is when when the max is like what fifteen or something? Is it twenty yeah, yeah. or fifteen? I can't remember. No, it's fifteen. It's okay. fifteen. So that's about twenty four or twenty five kilometers. Um, the problem is once you start driving, it starts to disappear probably double the rate you would see during normal driving. So I would I would never get um, I would never get the full. 14 miles of EV only operation. And the other issue was 
when I got into the car for the first time, if it had been sitting, so it was fairly cold. We're talking probably minus 10 to minus 15 degrees Celsius, Celsius which I think yeah. is around like 15 degrees Fahrenheit, something like that. Okay. Anyway, so it's well below freezing. And when you first get in the car, there's a button on the center console of the i8, and it says Max E-Drive, which right. allows you to just, just run on the battery. Which is it, something you, that you're going to want to do if you buy an electric vehicle, right? A yeah, plug-in it's part of the fun. Vehicle. Yeah. And and you can't do it. You can't do it when it's cold. What do you mean? You, well, if you get in the car and you push that button, what happens is the center screen pops up with a message that says, Max E-Drive not available, auto E-Drive. That's what you're in. Where's Max E-Drive? Max E-Drive is apparently taking a nap until everything is warm <laughs> enough for him, her, or them, they to, uh, you know... Go to work. It's, yeah, okay, it's, I get you it. End up, you end up driving it like a normal hybrid. And <laughs> yeah, okay. and I'm saying, you know, it depends how cold it is, mm-hmm. but at least like five, ten minutes of hybrid driving before I could engage e-drive sometimes. Did that also diminish, like while you were in that hybrid mode, didn't oh, it yeah. drop the, the range anyway? Like It, it, it will like drop the range unless you're in sport mode. If you put the yeah. car in sport mode, it uses the engine, the, the turbocharged three-cylinder gas engine, to generate power mm-hmm. and feed that power to the battery, which is counterintuitive, but pretty cool, I think. It is, and it's also actually quite fun in sport mode. I didn't have any issues. I yeah. thought it was fun. Yeah, um, and so uh, what, what's, what's your next question? Okay, it's um, and it's a supercar. I think it's a supercar. I would call it a supercar. Supercars warm up very quickly. Did this thing warm up in the snow in the winter? Did it warm up okay? I, yeah, it, you know, this is the warmest hybrid or battery power car I've ever driven. Most of the time, these cars are ba- – they're, they're, they're fuel misers. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they want to shut down every system that uh, affects their battery drain rate. So you end up with, well, hey, why don't you use the heated seats because I'm going to give you this kind of paltry draft of semi-lukewarm yes, air. And uh, the only it's thing like I noticed – being in, a, in like a really old public bathroom with those crappy like hand – those hand dryers. Well, unlike unlike you, Sammy, I was never chained to a radiator as a child, but I guess I can imagine what that might be like. Um, This car was warm all the time, and it was warm, like, right away. It was warmer more quickly than what a standard gas car would be, which was amazing. The only issue – yeah, the only issue I ever had was on a longer trip with a friend – I ended up with foggy side windows. I had trouble keeping those clear, Mm -hmm. but everything else – no issues. And, I, you know, I just want to touch back on the the uh, electric range thing. Even though the car was not allowing me to use the battery to its fullest, and even though the battery was draining much quicker than you would expect, this is a car with one gas engine and two electric engines. One of them is for the four-wheel drive up front, and uh, one of them is assisting the, the gas engine. Mm-hmm. I still saw 30 miles per gallon overall during my entire week with the car and i probably put four or five hundred miles on it so that's, there was that's really driving. impressive for a car like this especially oh, a car that's as, uh, as fun to drive as this right yeah it, it, it not only is that impressive for any car in the winter <laughs> uh <laughs> it's doing a fair amount of city sliding around and, and i wasn't you know babying it but for that you're not going to find a single car that looks like this that has this kind of curb appeal and in the is, winter is, too and it's like yeah. winter capable i have yeah. some more questions don't don't cut me off yet don't don't all stop right, all right Okay, if it's one. Oh, that's all we have time for, Sammy. I'm (laughs) time for your time for your post Africa nap. No. Oh wait. Um, let me let me ask you a couple more here. Um, the i8, like other supercars, um, has a really funky construction. Um, carbon fiber, right? It has a lot of carbon fiber. Was that uh, an issue in terms of temperature? Uh, was it super cold? Like, were there parts of the car that like you touched your elbow and you're like, oh, it's chilly. 
Yeah, no? I, I put my tongue in the carbon fiber a couple times to see if it would stick, and it didn't stick, and I think that's a good thing. That is a good thing. Thank you for doing that. Uh, I did that as well, probably on the same one that you had, so... Yeah, that's why I did you it. You kind of made out through a car. I could tell. <laughs> okay, finally, what about um, handling and, and dealing with snow? I mean, does it have, was, were you just shoveling snow everywhere with the, how low it is? It, it wasn't as much of a problem as you'd think. Um, my alley got cut off from the street because they were doing snow removal, so they made like kind of a, a little mound of snow that in any other car you would just plow through. Mm-hmm. But in the I-8, it's got like that, like you said, that snout. It's, it's, it's almost like a wedge. And I didn't want to just bang through that, but I did plow through some other lighter snow without any issues. The biggest problem I had was when the car is in EV mode, it likes to cut off. So traction control for an electric car is much different than what you would have in a gas car because in a gas car, you would traditionally you would use the brakes to kind of reduce wheel spin and you would also reduce throttle input. But in an electric car, you can be much more granular and you can just cut power like instantaneously from the motor. It doesn't spin up or spin down nearly the same rate. Uh, it doesn't require the same lead-in or lead-out time. So if you're in some deeper snow... And the car's like, uh-uh, there's no no traction here. It'll just cut things off, and you're kind of stuck there. And I've, I had this issue in the past with the Chevrolet Volt. It only happened a couple of times with the i8, and my solution was to take it out of EV mode, first of all, because the gas engine allows for more wheel spin. But you can also turn off all of the nannies if you want to and slide the car around. And okay. it's fairly predictable doing that. And, and in fact... Um, I bought a WRX a couple of weeks ago, a 2002 Bug Eye Wagon, and I'm super happy about it. And the day I picked to go pick it up, it's an hour and a half drive from the city in a total blizzard nightmare snowstorm. Mm-hmm. And uh, we drove the I-8, my friend and I, and there were no issues. The car was – the grip was incredible. It never felt unstable. It never felt like I was floating on top of the snow, like there was snow pile – like I was high-siding it on the highway. Mm-hmm. Um, visibility was great, although I have to say this vehicle has those laser headlights. And when you use those in a snowstorm, it's you can't use the brights. Like it's just okay. – it, it, it's like engaging hyperspeed in the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> That's actually really cool. Oh, it, it has that weird bluish tinge, too, which I don't think anyone ever talks about when they mention the laser headlights. It, yeah. It's like early HIDs were at the cutoff. They had, you know, or the cheaper HIDs you can buy now where it's got that xenon, like, okay, everyone has to know I'm using HID headlights kind of thing. So, I don't know, maybe laser's just feeling its oats. Um, well, that was a throw to you, Sammy. <laughs> <laughs> Are you asleep yet? Yes, I am. <laughs> what do you want from me? What? I want some level of professionalism, to be honest. Like that's that's all I've ever asked for. Um, you know the the I want you you mentioned the laser lights. The A7 also had these blue tinted laser lights as well, and maybe that's just lasers thing. Maybe that yeah, maybe that's totally the laser steez. Uh, something else about laser lights, they don't generate enough heat to melt snow off the car. Oh no! So I at one point I was driving around the city. And it was nighttime, and I was like, are my headlights on? And I flipped the switch a couple times, and it was on, and I'm like, that's weird. And then I hit a speed bump, and all the snow fell off the front of the car, and it was really bright. And I know everyone out there is listening is like, wow, he's an idiot who doesn't properly clean his car off before he drives around. He's that guy. And you know what? You're right. Sometimes I am that guy. Well, actually, you can't no, do wait, anything where are you going to get the – where are you going to store the brush, the, the, the uh-huh. brush? Let me get to that. Here's why I'm that guy sometimes. Because I'm driving an i8, right? And when I push the <laughs> trunk pop button, 
I go to the back of the car and discover that the tiny um, oh, vestigial, yeah. the tiny, the, the little, little finger, motors, the finger slit that you have to. Yeah. So it, it first of all, if there's any snow on top of that hatch, it does not raise. It doesn't raise at all. So you clean the snow off with your hand because you're trying to get to the snow brush that's inside. <laughs> And then you push the button again, and guess what? There's ice on the so on on the i8. There's no real lip yeah, to the yeah. to the hatch. It's it's just glass inside other glass. So it's there's like just, the it's ice bridging that gap, and you're like, well, yeah, I can't it's open. the SVX of hatchets, right? Like <laughs> a window in a window, and you, you reach in to try and pull it up, and there's no way to do it. Like you can't get your fingers in. It's iced over, and then when you get in the car, you think you've closed it, but the car's like hatch open, hatch open. And it sucks, and you got to park it inside and let it melt. That's the only thing you can do. So that's why my headlights weren't cleaned off. Also, I'm lazy. But I just want to point out that if the worst thing about this exotic semi-supercar, I know people are going to be like, oh, it's not a supercar because it's only $150,000 and it's not that fast. It's pretty fast. Anyway, if the worst thing about it is that I can't pop the hatch in the wintertime sometimes, that's pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're not going to be driving a Huracan in the snow, no, 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 unless no. Um, unless you're some Swiss industrialist billionaire who doesn't care. So that's what I was going to bring up next. I mean, one of the really interesting parts about the i8 is the tires. The tires are surprisingly um, normal, that like in terms of size. They're I think two two twenty two twenty five series width, and like you can find winter tires for that no problem. I really don't know how you would find winter tires for a Huracan, for an Aventador, for an NSX. Like I don't think. They have things that are like 300 series wide, like or do they? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, I would assume that if you're rich enough, you can get anything made, but yeah, it's so. probably not easy to find. But that's, that's my. Sure. I'm, I'm just so surprised. Like that, this car is is surprisingly regular in this kind of situation right yeah it's 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 a real world car except for those doors and the hatch yeah. like that's where you really start to notice that okay this wasn't intended to be used every day which is weird because everything else about it can be used every day i didn't feel strange driving the car in the winter i got a lot of compliments some people were like oh why would you do that quick answer it's not my car but uh it's you could do it if you wanted to and and the alley behind my house it's not there's not a lot of room it does fill up with snow quite a bit and uh on some front wheel drive cars that i bring back there i have issues with traction mm -hmm. and i never had that problem with the i8 and i i was amazed by that that is really amazing this car is a well-balanced fairly lightweight car for a, a plug-in hybrid it's about 3300 pounds i think um am i wrong about that I don't know the exact weight, but uh, with the amount of carbon fiber that's in it, I mean, if it's anywhere around there with the battery packs and the and the fact that it has three motors, that would be really impressive. And I really just want to get more into the into the weeds on how this car felt in snow or any. There was you you said it was never a, a fear you, that you were going to lose control and that the traction seems to be okay. Do, were you frequently turning off the traction control for it to you know act a little bit more predictable, or could you drive it with with without anything on? Uh -oh. It was predict. It was predictable at all times. Mm -hmm. I turned off the traction control because I wanted to slide the car. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to steer with the throttle, and surprisingly, it will let you do that 
which in a hybrid is not always the case. I will say this though, I had it off during a particularly snowy night, snowy night, excuse me, and I was going up a straight uphill drive in yeah, uh, Montreal, a okay. fairly wide straight. I stepped on the gas hard and it went sideways hard. And I mean like in a weird way and enough for me to put traction control back on, which is not something I often do. And then just crawl <laughs> in an up automobile. the hill. No, I didn't crawl up the hill. Everything oh, okay. was fine, but I was surprised by how quickly things got sideways. So you have to pay attention while you're driving the car, but it's not dangerous. It's not going to bite you. Um, keep in mind that when that happened, I had everything turned off and I was responsible for everything that was happening in the vehicle. Okay. So I was just – with everything on on that, on that crazy highway, like hundreds of kilometers, 100-mile trip, it was really, really safe. Okay. Do you think BMW should do a winter driving school with i8s? I think they definitely could. I mean, it wouldn't be like wild, right? Like they, maybe they should be promoting the fact that this car is really livable in the winter and that its customers shouldn't be afraid. You know, there was a commenter on a story that you wrote on the i8 um, who was wondering what the rust situation would be like in this car. And I thought that was a really funny, funny question to ask because I think that since there's a carbon fiber tug, tub, like rust won't be a huge issue for this car. You know, it's it's. I often think that rust on modern cars isn't going to be a huge issue anyway. And then stuff like what happened to my father this year, who has a 2012 F-150. So mm -hmm. um, this is actually problem actually happened in the fall. So it was only about five years old, right? Mm -hmm. And he had to replace both cab corners on the truck because they had rusted through. Does that seem bizarre to you? Yeah, that does seem a little a little. That seems really uh, early, right? For and way I, too I, premature. I, and no, it does. Spot, no. Well, no, cab corners are where traditionally trucks okay. accumulate moisture and dirt. But, you know, he has a lot of kilometers and a lot of miles on the vehicle. He drives it a lot, but it's not very old. And I, I did some investigation, and I found that, yeah, this is kind of a thing for Ford, where they're, they're having trucks show up with this kind of rust damage. So um, for the i8, I mean, like you said, there's carbon fiber on it. Who knows what it's like – where where the snow and salt is going to gather like it has it's interesting because it has that swoopy bodywork at the back where there's kind of like a like a tunnel in the body where you have the top and the bottom fenders where they meet mm -hmm. and snow piles up inside of that yeah. <laughs> and you can clear it if you want but whatever but it's just kind of funny because you know it's it's an unusual styling and they, they're not thinking about where the snow is going to be when they're drawing that in clay or whatever uh, one thing that did surprise me, though, is when you open those doors, you don't get a lot of snow falling into the vehicle. If you do like a, just a regular clean around the, the border of the door and pop it open, it's it's actually better than a standard car in terms of snow falling on your seat. Mm. Interesting. That's really cool. So it's it's definitely uh, a, a much more real world world car than I thought it was. Yeah. I would say on par with a 911. In terms okay. of just yeah. how you – except for those doors, once again, I mean, that's going to be a constant source of frustration regardless of whether it's snowing or not. But uh, it's definitely a an outlier in the world of cars that look like the i8 looks like. Interesting. That uh, That's always fun. And I'm, I'm, maybe I should uh, consider following up on that story in a similar way. Uh, you do mention the, the 911. That would make for a great winter car as well, especially because you can have it with four-wheel drive. Um, and they're, they're pretty predictable nowadays in terms of handling. Um, anything else you want to add for this podcast? No, I think, I think that kind of wraps things up. I mean, I know you've got to get to bed because you are so very, very, very tired. I have no um, idea what time my body thinks it should be. It's 11 to o'clock. Just oh, that's past don't my worry bedtime. about it. It's past your, it's past several bedtimes, <laughs> but, um, next week, 
uh, we're going to be talking about – what are we going to be talking about, Sammy? I don't know. <laughs> well, I know what I'm going to be talking about. All right. Uh, well, why don't you hit me up with what you're going to talk about, and I can make something up. I'm going to be try- talking about a much, 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 much less exotic vehicle, and that is the 2018 Honda Odyssey minivan. Ooh, and I not will exotic be- about a car that can house eight people. Well, I can tell you that there's an exotic number of buttons and switches that don't seem to do what I think they're going to do inside the Odyssey. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll also be driving the Honda Fit Sport uh, next week, which means we're going to be having kind of a Honda Fest mm-hmm. in terms of uh, fun things to talk about. Sammy? Uh, I actually have a variety of things to, to talk about. Uh, last week, I got the chance to compare two sports sedans, one that is a traditional rear-wheel drive-based one in the IS3, Lexus IS350. and One, one of your favorites. One, well, I didn't like the IS300 because it's a neutered version of the IS350, and now I'm getting the legit, the actual car, and I felt much more happier with it this time around. But it's starting to show its age, especially in comparison to a more modern sports sedan, and this is the Acura TLX, which now gets an A-spec trim package so i can talk about what it's like to drive these two cars um especially in the winter uh where people would like all-wheel drive v6 power in a japanese luxury sedan all right then and in the meantime if you have any questions about any of those cars that we're going to be talking about next week or any of the cars that we talked about this week you can hit us up on twitter you can find sammy at sammy underscore ha like you're laughing or you can get me at hunting benjamin you can also go straight to our website that's the unnamed or sorry www.unnamedautomotivepodcast.com uh you can subscribe to our podcast using whatever podcast client that you prefer and you can also see all of our previous episodes as well as some photos and links to relevant stories uh for the cars that we talked about today and there's also Facebook action on our Facebook page where we do our best to put photos but don't always put photos but we do do our best to we put try photos. that's the most important thing <laughs> so thank you for listening this week, and thank you for dealing with Sammy's bizarre personality shift after 60 hours of travel, and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening.